Welcome to the Living Room Podcast. The Living Room is the college ministry at Buckhead Church in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, you can check out the Living Room ATL on Instagram. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this talk. Come on. Hey, welcome to the Living Room. How are we feeling tonight, TLR family? Y'all good? Y'all good? Awesome. Well, hey, you guys can actually... Say what's up to somebody around you as you take a seat. So again, welcome to the living room. Great to see all of you in the room. Great to see everyone who's tuning in with us right now online live as well, um, which I know from week to week, I like to say hey to my mom because she's always tuning in live. So hey, mom, she's in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, that's why she's not here. Otherwise, she'd probably be here every week. She does come from time to time. But anyways, enough about my mom. Um, I love you though, mom. But uh, tonight, normally right now, what would happen is I'd come up, I'd give like a few announcements, you know, some things about like if it's your first time, you can go to the first timetable, which if it's your first time, well, we'd love to meet you at the first timetable. I just gave the announcement, but, um, but usually I'd give the announcements and then like we'd, we'd stand back up again. We'd go back into singing, but tonight we're actually going to flip the night upside down. Is that okay with you? Okay, cool. Because if you said no, then I don't know what we were going to do because that's, that's what we're doing. The band's already gone. Um, so here's what we're doing. We're about to dive into the message. Like we're just going to go straight in tonight. And then on the back end of the night, we're going to sing. We're going to sing like three or four songs. So instead of just worshiping on the front end and then a message and then sometimes like a song on the back end, we thought we'd just do one song up top, message, and then we'd create a whole lot of space for you to respond and worship through song on the back end. Is that cool? I need y'all to... Yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks for leaning in. So Jack, you can go ahead and bring out the, normally there's like a real smooth transition right here. Like I pray and you close your eyes and it all comes out and then you open your eyes and you're like, yo, magic. How'd they get that out there? Um, this is how it happens. Ty and Jack just make it happen. Thank y'all. Yeah. Appreciate you. Um, that's incredible. Um, but Hey, this past weekend, uh, everybody have a good weekend. Y'all have a good weekend. Okay. Yeah. Braves going to win in six, seven. No, they better. A- any, any Houston fans in the room? Okay, we got some Houston people. Uh-oh. Um, good, good. Anybody trick-or-treat? That's nobody. My God, Malcolm. <laughs> I love it, Malcolm. It is so good to see you, bro. Um, well, hey, this weekend, I had a great weekend, and part of my weekend was spent at Clemson University. Um, I say part of my weekend, just a few hours, but my wife, and she went to Clemson, and I uh, dated my wife while she was in college. I did not go to Clemson. Um, I was living in St. Louis, long-distance relationship. Um, But I would visit her at Clemson from time to time, and so I kind of became like a Clemson fan. And so this weekend, we got to go to a Clemson football game, and we got to bring our three-year-old daughter, Willow, with us. And it was Willow's first experience. There are so many Willow fans in the room. It's Every time I say her name, it's like, (gasps) Um, but that's awesome. I love it. I'm a fan of my daughter, too. Uh, But Willow got to go to the game with us for the very first time, and uh, she had an amazing experience. It was awesome. Um, But usually I like am really engaged in the game. This time I was kind of like I had a three-year-old climbing all over me for the whole game. So I wasn't as engaged with what was going on in the field, but I was very engaged with like what the other fans near me were doing, right? Because I was just like, I can't really watch the game because Willow's climbing all over me, but I can watch the people sitting next to me. And sometimes that's just as entertaining as like the game, you know? Um, So Clemson, let me just paint the picture for you. There's like 80,000 fans there, okay? And they're not having a great season, but still like their fans care a lot. Um, as do a lot of college football fans. And so like there was this pass at this point in the game, Florida State player had like caught a pass and everyone thought he was out of bounds, but the referee like calls it inbounds, you know? 
And like everyone in my section, in my row specifically, is like, they are letting the refs know it. Like they're like, sir, we can see the call better than you can, even though you're right on the field and we're like, you know, like near the upper deck, we can see it better, sir. He was out of bounds, that is the wrong call. And so the people sitting next to me weren't the only ones who disagreed, like most of the crowd disagreed. And so the crowd starts like freaking out, you know, like they're yelling, they're like, that's the wrong call. So eventually the referee, this doesn't always happen, but sometimes it does, the crowd can kind of convince the ref that like maybe it was the wrong call. The referee comes to the center of the field, he, he turns his mic on and he's like, the previous play is under further review. And everyone kind of like starts cheering. They're like, yeah, you're right, it's under further review. And so then what they do is like they go to the video boards, right? Like they send the, the previous play up and the people who are like up in the boxes and stuff, like, you know, they review it and the referees put these headsets on down on the field and they're talking to the people and like they're looking at the play from every single angle, right? And so they start to show all these different camera angles of the previous play on the, on the big screen, like on the jumbotron, and of course, like all the fans are erupting now. They're like, yeah, see right there, he's out, he's out, he's out, right? And like, even if he wasn't out, like they're just, con they're trying to convince the ref. So this is all taking place. And then after a couple of minutes, the referee comes back to the field and he says, hey, upon further review, he either says the ruling on the field stands, like it's been confirmed, or the ruling on the field is overturned. And so in this instance, he said the ruling on the field was overturned, everyone went crazy. He's like, upon further review, and that's kind of what I want to talk about tonight for just a few minutes. Like, the direction that we're headed is sometimes, I think, in our lives, and specifically in this story tonight with where we're going to dive into and the story we're going to take a look at found in the book of Esther, sometimes there's a lot more going on than what we can see. Like, the reason they send a call up to the booth, the reason that they review it is because when you send it to review, like you can see things that you couldn't see in the moment. Like the refs get a chance to see things that maybe they couldn't see on the field. They get to look at it from all different angles. And in our lives, isn't it true? There are things and circumstances that we walk through and in the moment, it seems like it's gonna work out one way, but if we could just step back and send it up to the booth and say, God, upon further review, what is your thought on that? We might get a different perspective. And so if you're taking notes tonight, my message title is just that, it's upon further review, upon further review. That's the direction that we're headed for the next few minutes, but let me catch you up to speed with where we were last week. Last week, we kicked off this series called What a Time to Be Alive, and LT did an amazing job kicking off this series. It's just a two-part series, so this is part two, the final part of this series, What a Time to Be Alive, but let me just catch you up to speed. Um, we're looking at the story of Esther. Esther's a book that's found in the Old Testament, so the first part of the Bible, everything before Jesus. And in part one of What a Time to Be Alive, we really just kind of set up the story. Like we did a, an overview of really the entire book, the entire story of Esther. We introduced the main characters. Like there's this guy named King Xerxes. Right under him is this guy named Haman. They were like not good leaders, didn't make good decisions. Um, and then there was a couple other people. There's Esther who, who ends up becoming the queen, Queen Esther. She's like the main person of the story, hence why the, the book is titled after her. It's titled Esther. And then there's this guy named Mordecai, and Mordecai was Esther's cousin, um, but Esther was actually an orphan. Her mom and dad had passed away, and Mordecai kind of takes Esther in as his, as, as, as his own, as his daughter. And so in part one, we kind of looked at this story, and we talked about how God's plan, God's program, his purpose is going to go on. It's going to move forward with or without you, but the good news is we're invited to play a part. So we talked about how our purpose kind of coincides with God's providence or God's plan, his sovereignty. 
And where the story kind of landed, we landed kind of in Esther chapter four. And there's this popular verse in Esther chapter four that says, for, for such a time as this, like maybe you've heard someone say that before, like, man, for such a time as this, it's where it comes from, Esther chapter four. Because Esther had become the queen, but this edict had been put into place from this guy named Haman, and King Xerxes approved it, that all the Jews, the, the entire Jewish nation, all the Jews were going to be killed. And Esther was a Jew, so this was her people. And so Mordecai is like, Esther, maybe God put you in this position for such a time as this. Like, you need to go to the king, not only so you can save your own life, but so that maybe you can save the entire nation of Jews. And so Esther was scared. She was like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I should do this. She even says, like, if I die, I die. Like, that's something you don't say unless you're really terrified. But eventually she works up the courage and she goes to meet with the king to tell him this request. Like, I want my people to be saved. I don't want this to go forward. So Esther shows this amazing courage, this amazing boldness, right? And she goes and has this conversation with the king. And then you would think that at this point in the story, things change. Like you'd think that like, man, Esther was courageous. She did the right thing. Everything must have shifted. When the reality is if you keep reading and you go on to Esther chapter five, things actually get a good bit worse. And I wonder if you've ever been there in your life. I wonder if you've ever been in a situation or walked through circumstances in your life, maybe you're walking through them right now and you feel like I am being courageous, I'm doing the right thing, but it feels like it's not leading to the right results. In fact, it feels like things are actually getting worse. And when this happens, when we show courage, when we do the right thing, but it doesn't seem like things get any better and maybe they even get a little bit worse when this happens, and I would imagine Esther felt a little bit of this, it can lead to frustration, it can lead to discouragement, it can lead to a whole lot of fear of like what's going to happen next, how can it get any worse? It can lead to worry, it can lead to anger, it can even lead to doubt. And ultimately, whether you're a Christian in the room tonight or not, I think it can lead you to asking this question, whether out loud or just internally, this question right here, where is God? Where's God? And I say whether you're a Christian or not, because if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, then maybe this is a question that you think about a lot. You're like, God, I'm trying to be obedient to you. I'm trying to follow you to the best of my abilities. But like, where are you? Where are you at in this situation? Where's God? But even if you're not a Jesus follower, even if you wouldn't claim to be a Christian, I would imagine there's still times in your life where things go the wrong way and things get so bad to where you're just desperate and you're like, I'm just gonna throw up a prayer like, I don't even know who I'm praying to, but God, if, where, where are you? And at this point in the story of Esther, I'm definitely thinking this. Where's God? In fact, what's interesting is if you read the story of Esther, it's not that long, it's just 10 chapters. If you read the story of Esther, God's name is not mentioned one single time throughout the entire book. You will not find the name of God mentioned specifically in Esther. But I think this was on purpose for a purpose. Like we don't know exactly who the author of Esther was, but I think the author had a purpose as to why the name of God wasn't specifically mentioned because I think this was actually an invitation to look, to search for God's activity all throughout the book. And spoiler alert, it's everywhere. 
If you're looking for God in the book of Esther, you can find him everywhere. Every moment that there's a where's God moment, if you keep reading, I promise you, there will be a there's God moment. Where's God? There's God. And so Esther goes to the king. We're about to dive in. Let me give you some context. Esther goes to the king, and the king's like, Esther, what is it that you want? Whatever you want, it's yours. And so she's like, hey, what I want is I want you and Haman to come to this banquet with me that I'm gonna throw for you. So this is where it picks up in Esther chapter five, beginning in verse five. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared, just like she asked. As they were drinking wine, the king asked Esther, now what is your petition? It will be given you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. So the king's like, Esther, what is it that you want? Like, we're at this banquet. We've showed up. Haman's here too. Like, what is it that you want? We'll give it to you. And look what Esther says. It says, Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards, regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. So this is, this is interesting to me because I'm like, Esther, you already got them to a banquet. They're asking you what you want. Like, why do you want them to come back tomorrow to another banquet? They're gonna be in the same exact position. And I don't know exactly why Esther did this. Like, I don't know if there was some strategy to this. I kind of presume that she just like got nervous and that she was like, oh my gosh, I thought I'd have the courage, but I don't. Like, have you ever been in a moment like that where like, you know, like it's a relationship maybe or something like that and like, or a friend or a roommate and you're like, okay, I'm gonna talk to them about it today. I'm gonna tell them like it's their turn to do the dishes. And then you get to the kitchen and like the dishes are overflowing. You're like, yeah, it's their turn. They walk in and you're like, hey, how are you? Are you good? I'm just about to do the dishes, you know? And like, you're like, oh, I missed my opportunity. Like, I don't know if that's how Esther was feeling here, but it seems to me like Esther, why do they need to come back to the same exact environment tomorrow? But this is what she asked. She's like, come back tomorrow and I'll tell you what I want. So they're like, okay. And so we, we go on, it says, Haman won out that day happy and in high spirits. So Haman is like, great, so he leaves, he's in high spirits. I assume that means like he was wasted, you know? Like he had drank a lot of wine, he was feeling good, he's in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, his attitude, his mood kind of shifts. He was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. So Haman is like feeling good after this banquet, Apparently, like, Esther had the wine flowing, you know, and he leaves. He's like, yo, I'm, I'm in a great mood. Then he runs into Mordecai, and he's like, this is the Jew that won't bow down to me, that won't show me respect, and so he is infuriated. So what does he do? Haman goes home. He tells his friends, his closest friends, and his wife all about what had happened, and he's kind of, like, boasting. He's like, you know, I got invited to this banquet. It was just me and the king and Esther, the queen, you know. It was just the three of us. She wants us to come back tomorrow. Then he starts going on, telling, like, his family and his wife, you know, and his friends all about, like, all the things that he has and how, like, prominent he is in the community and how he has all this power. But then he's like, I can't even be happy in this moment, even though I have everything to be happy about. I cannot even be fully satisfied. Why? Because of how much I hate this man, Mordecai. He's like, I can't stand this man, Mordecai. And so like, literally, he's infuriated. And his wife and his closest friends are seeing this. And so they're like, well, let's give you some advice. So this is the advice that they give to him. It says, his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits 
and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it, a.k.a. you're going to build this pole, this really tall pole, and you're gonna, Mordecai is going to die on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the pole set up. So if you're like, Matt, how high is 50 cubits? 50 cubits would have been about 75 feet tall. So this wasn't just like a little like pole that you would see like on a basketball goal. No, no, this was like a pole that would have like gone up like past the ceiling probably. It's about 75 feet tall. And this pole was built not just to kill someone, in this specific instance, uh, Mordecai, but this pole would have been built to display that person for all to see. So he's like, I don't just wanna kill Mordecai but I don't want everyone to see him. I wanna make an example of him to show how powerful I am, to show what happens when you don't respect my authority. Not a great leader, right? And in this moment again, I'm asking the question, where's God? Where's God? Like God, where, where are you? Like Esther's been faithful, Mordecai's been faithful to you, and here it is, and Mordecai's future, it's like, it's, it's, he can see it. He's gonna be killed. I don't know if Mordecai saw this pole going up or not. If he did, I don't know if he knew like exactly what this pole was gonna be used for, but I'm sure like he's maybe catching some word. I don't know. And he's probably thinking this is not going to end well. Where is God? And that night, the king, King Xerxes, he couldn't sleep. And so through a series of events, he ends up finding out about this story that happened in the past of this person named Mordecai who essentially saved his life, saved the king's life, because a couple men, a couple of the king's officials were plotting to kill him, to kill the king, and Mordecai caught word of this, and Mordecai went and told someone, preventing this from happening. And so the king learns of this, and the king's like, why am I just hearing about this? Like, we've gotta go honor this man. He's like, we, we gotta go find him, we gotta bring him in, we gotta honor him, he literally saved my life. And so, sure enough, Haman, is not far away, and the king calls Haman in. He's like, Haman, I just found out about this guy. He doesn't say his name yet. He's like, but I found out about this guy who like saved my life, this is what he did. Like, it was amazing. Like, Haman, what, what, what should we do? Like, how should we honor this man? How should we celebrate him? People need to know about this. This man needs to be recognized. And look at Haman's response. Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? See y'all. Haman literally is so prideful that he thinks the king's talking about him. Like he literally thinks the king is talking about something that he did. Maybe you know people like this, like where it seems like they just always think the world kind of revolves around them, that everyone's looking at them, that everyone's like constantly thinking they're the best. This is Haman. And so Haman thinks that this is him who's going to be honored and so Haman starts to tell the king, he's like, yo, you need, you need to ball out. Like, you need, to, you need to let everyone know this is gonna be amazing. I think you need to celebrate this man. I think you need to, like, throw a party. I think you need to let everyone know, invite all the people. We need to celebrate and honor this man, like, as much as we possibly can. He's like, that's what I think you should do, honestly, in my humble opinion. And the king re responds, look at what happens next. He was like, that sounds like a great idea. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. <laughs> Check this out, y'all. You can't make this stuff up. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested. For who? For Mordecai the Jew. Can you imagine Haman's face in this moment? Excuse me, for, for who? You meant for me, for, for, for Mordecai the Jew. 
who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. The king's like, Haman, what you just said is so good, bro. I don't want you to like neglect any of that. I want you to do it all. Like, like don't forget the confetti. Don't forget the ribbons. Don't forget the air horns. Like do it all, Haman. I don't know if all that was involved. I'm just making it, you know, like don't forget it. We're gonna do the fireworks, Haman. We're, we're, we're doing it all. We're doing it all. So this was like a command. So Haman had to go do it. He couldn't disobey the king. And it says afterward, check this out, afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate. So like Mordecai gets honored, he gets celebrated. He just goes back to where he was. But Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His head covered in grief. So do you know what that would have meant in, in this, this culture, in this society, at this, this time? That's what you would have done if you lost like a loved one if someone close, dear to you had passed away. So Haman goes home and he is literally so distraught as if someone close to him in his life had died when the reality was his pride had, had, had dealt him a death blow. And his wife and his friends saw what was coming now and they start to give him the opposite advice, telling him what he needs to do now because they're like, Haman, this is not gonna go well for you. And as they're telling him what he needs to do, as they're giving him this very specific advice, one of the king's officials come in, comes in and he's like, Haman, it's time to go, man. We gotta go back to that second banquet that Esther is inviting you to. Come on, like it's time to go. And so they go to this banquet, the king, Haman, and Esther. And this is what happens. Then Queen Esther answered. So the king's like, all right, Esther, we're here at the banquet. You said you'd answer. What is it that you want? She answers, she says, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. This was Esther's response. And look at the way the king responds. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing to you. He's like, who is it? Where is he? Like, you tell me. And king, the king is literally so, so mad at this point. He has to get up away from the table. He sets down his glass of wine and he walks out of the room because he is so mad. He's got to try to collect himself. And look at what the queen says just before he leaves the room. It says, Esther said, an adversary and enemy, this vile Haman. Again, can you just picture this moment? Esther's like, it's him right here. She finally has the courage to say it. And the king leaves, he's infuriated, and so Haman knows what's about to happen. Haman starts begging to Esther to spare his life. Esther is literally reclining back on the couch, it says. She's just chilling at this point. I'm sure she's like, whew, I got it out. And literally, Haman, like he's begging her. In fact, the text says he's like on his knees, like laying on top of her. Now get this picture. The king is really, really mad at Haman. He has to step out of the room for a minute. He walks back in the room and Haman is all up on Esther, okay? Like, just as the king returned from the palace banquet garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. So now the king is like, oh heck no. Like, Haman was just begging for his life, but the king didn't know that. In fact, the text goes on and the king's like, are you really gonna try to get with my wife in my own house? 
Who do you think you are? And the king was done. Like he was done. He was over it. And before he could even get the words out of his mouth, like you're going to really try to get with Esther in my own house with my own wife, like in, the, in this moment, before he could even get the words out, this is what it says. As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they, speaking of the king's officials, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, a pole reaching to a height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. He had it set up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. And the king said, impale him, Haman, on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Y'all, if you've been zoning out, lean in right now. Are you seeing what's happened here? Are you, like, this is real. This is why you gotta read the Bible. The pole that was built to impale to kill Mordecai became the pole used to defeat Mordecai's enemy. The story is filled with so many where's God, there's God moments. Where is God? Keep reading, the story's not done. There's God. Where's God? It seems like it's hopeless. Keep reading. There's God. Oh, there's hope. Where's God? It feels like the enemy's winning. Oh, hold up. There's God. No, 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 no. The enemy's not going to win. See, God is active even when we perceive him to be absent. And in God's hands, intended evil becomes eventual good. In God's hands, Intended evil becomes eventual good. The decree to kill the Jews eventually is overturned later in the story. We didn't touch on that part, but if you read it, you'll, you'll see that. Mordecai eventually rises to power to the same position that Haman once held, the second most important person just under the king. And so what do we learn from this story? Like what are a couple of the takeaways? I think number one is it's, it's just to remain faithful. Remain faithful. So in your life, you may not walk through a situation like this, but remain faithful. Like trust God. The Bible says that even when we're not faithful, God is. That he's faithful even when we're faithless. Our faithfulness to God is a response to his faithfulness to us, so keep doing the right thing. Keep showing courage. Keep taking your next step even when it's hard. And the second thing is trust him, trust God. Trust that he's working even when you don't see him. Just because God may feel absent in your life in a specific season does not mean he's inactive. No, 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 God is always at work. He's always moving, he has a plan. So as we started out tonight, I said the title of this talk was Upon Further Review. And for some of you, you've been walking through, maybe you are currently walking through, you will one day walk through a situation where in the moment, it seems hopeless. In the moment, it seems like there is no way you could ever again find peace. In the moment, it seems like there's no way you could forgive that person. In the moment, it seems like there's no way it's going to work out for you. But come on, upon further review, 
as you look at it from different angles, upon further review, as you just kind of take a step back from the situation, upon further review, as you pull some other people in, some friends, some community, some people from your small groups, some leaders in your life, as you pull them in and say, hey, here's what I'm going through. Do you see it a different way? Upon further review, maybe you'll discover, hey, the ruling on the field, the ruling in your life, the situation that you find yourself in, it's actually been overturned. There's hope. It's actually not the exact way that you see it. I know it felt like you were out of bounds right there, but actually you still had some room. God wasn't quite done. I've said this before, but if you have a pulse, then God has a purpose for your life. There's someone in here that maybe feels like, no, 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 Matt, Matt, you don't understand, bro. Like, you don't understand what I've done, where I've been. Like, there, like there's no purpose for my life anymore. I've disqualified myself. You haven't. And if you think you have, then come on, why are you here tonight? Maybe God has you here for a reason. Maybe he has you here to remind you that he still does have a purpose in your life. Like he knew you would be here tonight. Maybe you didn't know you'd be here. You didn't know I'd be talking about this, but God knew. He knew well in advance. And the pole that was built to kill Mordecai ends up becoming the pole that was used to kill his adversary. Whew. The wooden cross that was meant to kill Jesus, the cross where Satan thought he had won, it ended up becoming the cross that Jesus used to defeat the enemy. Because on the cross, Satan thought it's over. I've won, I've defeated Jesus, he's dead. Well, come on, three days later, upon further review, Satan thought on the field, what it looked like is that it was over. A lot of the people thought it was over. But upon further review, the ruling on the field had been overturned. Because three days later, there was an empty tomb. Three days later, Satan was like, uh-oh, I'm done. Hey, the worst intended evil in human history became the greatest good in human history. So if you thought your situation was too bad, that the evil that had been done towards you was too bad, hey, rest assured, God can turn it around. In fact, he promises that there will be a day where there will be no more pain, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more hurt. You may not see it here on this earth, but put your faith and trust in Jesus and rest assured that any evil, any injustice, eventually it will be made right, it will be paid for, it will be taken care of. So come on, as we begin to close and we're gonna respond in worship, and let me just say this, the reason we worship, the reason we sing songs it's not to remind God of who he is. It's to remind our hearts of who he is. It's to remind our souls of who God is. But before we close and, and go into this singing, this time of singing, I feel like there's somebody in here that you've never heard this good news that a cross meant to kill is actually our victory. And I just wanna let you know that your sin has separated you from God. There's no way around that. My sin has separated me from God. But the good news is this, God recognized that and he recognized that that was our greatest need. So God said, hey, I'm gonna send a savior. And he sent Jesus. 
And Jesus lived on this earth and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross for your sins and my sins and the sins of humanity. But he didn't stay dead. He rose victorious over the grave. So now, death doesn't have the final say. Your sin doesn't have the final say. For all those who put their faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross for their sins, now, when you take your final breath, it's not a death unto death, but it's a death unto life or a life unto life, whichever way you wanna look at it. You're saved of your sins eternally. But not only that, you're not just saved to get into heaven. No, you're saved to where you can live fully free here and now. Not that you'll be perfect, not that you won't sin anymore, but sin's no longer your master. You're, not, you're no longer under the shame and bondage of your sin because Jesus has set you free. And there's someone in the room tonight that says, Matt, I want that freedom. I wanna put my faith in Jesus. So if you would, all across the room, would you just bow your heads just for a moment with me, a moment of concentration? Tonight, if, if that's you, and you know right now, like it feels like God's been knocking on the door of your heart at some point tonight. If that's you, I just wanna invite you. If for the first time you need to make Jesus your Lord and Savior of your life, I just wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me and know this, this prayer doesn't save you, your faith in Jesus saves you. This prayer just solidifies the work that God is doing in your heart and your life right now. You can pray this out loud, you can pray this silently, but just pray these words. Just say, Heavenly Father, I confess that I'm a sinner in desperate need of a savior. I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. And tonight, I'm choosing to place my faith and trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. And I wanna follow Jesus from this day forward for the rest of my life the best way that I know how. In Jesus' name. If you would keep your heads bowed for just a moment longer. If you just prayed that prayer and if you just made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life for the very first time tonight, would you just shoot your hand up and make eye contact with me so I can see who you are? All heads bowed all across the room. Just shoot your hand up if that was you. I see you. I see you. I see you in the back. Keep your hands up for just a moment longer if you would. Yeah, I see the two of you over there. Put your hands down. So here's what I'd love to do. And if, if you've been coming to the living room for a while now, you know what I'm about to do. Um, and I'm not trying to put anyone on the spot, so please, you don't have to do this. Like your faith, you just made the best decision of your life. Um, so this is just a response to that decision. But if you just raised your hand and put your faith and trust in Jesus, in just a moment, um, when I count to three, I would love for you to stand up right where you are. And here's why. We say all the time that this is a family and family celebrates with and for one another when big things happen. And if you just put your faith in Jesus, there is no greater decision. There is nothing wor more worthy to celebrate than that, that decision you just made. So if that was you, and for the first time, you just put your faith and trust in Jesus. Even if you didn't shoot your hand up at me, but you're like, I made that decision, Matt. If you would just give us the absolute honor to celebrate with you for just a few seconds, I promise you this place is gonna lose their minds when you stand. If you would just give us the honor, would you just stand to your feet right where you are on the count of three? One, two, three, wherever you are, would you just stand up if you just put your faith and trust in Jesus for the very first time? Yeah, yeah.
I see you back there. Yeah, keep standing for just a moment. Yeah, yeah, come on, TLR family. I said we were gonna lose our minds. We can get a little bit louder than that. Come on, come on, come on, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, hey, can everyone else in the room stand with me in this moment? Would you all stand, TLR family? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, for the next 20 or so minutes, we're gonna praise you. And Lord, here's my prayer. My prayer for our family in this moment is that we would feel the freedom to worship you, God, exactly as we need to in this moment. Meaning, if we need to get on our knees, I pray that we would feel the freedom to do that. If we need to shoot our hands up, God, in worship of just a sign of surrendering to you in this moment, even if it's for the very first time, I pray that we would feel the freedom to do that. If we need to just soak in the truths of these, of these songs that we're gonna be singing, I pray that we would feel the freedom to do that, God. If we need to move around, Lord, and jump around a little bit, I pray that we would do that, Lord. I pray that over the next 15 or 20 minutes as we respond to who you are, as we remind our hearts of who you are, I pray that you would speak to us in a real and mighty way. So Lord, do what only you can do in this moment. We love you, God. It's in your mighty, mighty name we pray. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you want to stay connected, follow us on Instagram at the Living Room ATL. Remember, TLR fam, we love you, we're for you, and we'll see you next time.